0: Welcome back as we head into our third hour. We are delighted to do so, as we do on almost every Monday. We do it with Brandon Weikert. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He's also a columnist, excuse me, a senior editor, sorry about that, senior editor at 1945.com, nine forty five. where he writes prodigiously. How are you, Brandon?
1: I am okay. Thank you for correcting the title. You know, they are the most important things in our industry because so often our industry is so petty. (laughs) Is that it?
0: Is it it the obsession over small things like a faculty meeting?
1: Exactly. <laughs> faculty meetings about
0: which candy will be in the machine, in the lounge, something <laughs> right. like that. And know. who's
1: the bigger neo-Nazi.
0: Yeah, and who's the uh, <laughs> bigger neo-Nazi, right? <laughs> or the smaller one, right? Exactly. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank I, you for having me, as, I, always. I, as I'm, always. I'm it's doing a great. Good, good, good. Um, I would like to start with Ukraine, then do a little China military, and then bring it back home to some columns you have at 1945, if that's sure. okay. Two things on Ukraine. One is, is the selling of cluster bombs a big deal? And two is, was it a big deal that Joe Biden on CNN announced that we're running low on 155 millimeter artillery ammunition?
1: Um, Yes and yes, but also... No. Okay. Uh, so the first, the first, yes, it's, it is a big deal. Three answers to two that, questions.
0: That's my guy. That's. that's <laughs> are you sure you're not a rabbi? <laughs>
1: well, uh, I uh, maybe maybe uh, spiritually, okay. um, but uh, but um, no, I, um, I I think it is an important development. Uh, it indicates an escalation. Munitions. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, cluster munitions are. Um, you know. The funny thing was that the Ukrainians apparently wrote a letter to President Biden promising to use them responsibly, um, which is just hilarious, because if you know what cluster munitions do, they're designed to obliterate uh, everything in their path. So this idea They are indiscriminate
0: um, weapons, yeah.
1: Right, right. And so there's that. And then it's also—so that's important. Um, But it's also important to note that, yes, Biden did let it slip out that which I have been saying and that our friends in the DOD have been yelling at me saying that I'm making it up. He did finally admit that which I was saying for months, which is that we're running low on critical ammunition. And also the reason I said also no is because even though the Ukrainians have been begging for these cluster munitions for many moons now and we're finally giving it to them, The conflict has reached such a point where the Ukrainians are depleted any way you look at it. The only thing they're going to be able to do if they're lucky is hold the line. And that's a very dubious prospect at this point. So, no, it's not important in the sense that it's not going to change the tide of the war, which is shifting in Russia's favor every day. Finally, also, remember... For the last six to eight months, we've been told that, A, Vladimir Putin is going to be overthrown any day now, and that was disproven. And then also we were told, don't worry, the Russians are going to run out of munitions. Well, now it's being reported in the Wall Street Journal, which is very pro-war right now with Ukraine, I mean over Ukraine, now being reported in the Wall Street Journal that, in fact, Russia can make missiles, quote, indefinitely. Wow. So there goes any hope that the conflict will end anytime soon with a Ukrainian victory.
0: You know, there's an additional element to that, if I'm right. I read a report yesterday, could have been inaccurate, but it did remind us how early on Joe Biden was talking about how we would break the Russian economy, perhaps even reduce the ruble to rubble. And uh, if I read the report right, it looks like the Russian economy is doing <clears throat> just fine. Thank you.
1: So, Edward comparatively, Lutlak, I
0: mean, you know, it's not the economy we'd yeah, want. Yeah, of
1: course, it's the Russians. So right. I mean, you're not going to get, you know, Shanghai out right, of them. Right, right. But, um, you know, uh, of course, that we're not funding them the way that we funded the Chinese right. for the last 50 years. Um, but, uh, you know, Ed Lutwack has written extensively about this. He wrote a famous foreign affairs piece in the 90s called Give War a Chance, yeah. in which he outlined how actually warfare doesn't just destroy societies, it can actually empower them. Uh The victor can actually obviously write the course of destiny, but in the course of a conflict, one side can actually get stronger and shore up its vulnerabilities, which is what happened to the United States in the Second World
0: War. And
1: it's happening now with Russia in the Ukraine war we view the ukraine war as a proxy fight as like this minimal expenditure i can't tell you how many generals have looked at me in the eye and said this is this is super cheap what we're doing and it's like you don't get it for the russians this is a war of survival and it's a family squabble Mm -hmm. so for them they're all in and what that means is for them it's life or death so they've got to get it right Mm -hmm. and they're showing us that they can adapt better Than we thought, and in fact, in 2017, I had a member of the Atlantic Council throw literally in the middle of a briefing I was giving, uh, throw a report at me. He was so po'd with what I was saying. It was a it was a briefing I was giving at the Institute of World Politics, in which I was outlining, and it was it was entitled "Western Sanctions Are Not Hurting Russia," and that was back in 2017. So I was being given. Uh, You know, I was literally being attacked at one point by a gentleman in the audience of the Atlantic Council who threw this report at me to try to prove a point. Um, But I was right that the, the Western sanctions, what they did was they hardened Russia and they made Russia more durable and more survivable. Whereas we are the ones now being weakened and depleted at a critical moment when both Iran and China are on the rise and they're far greater threats to us than Russia is right now.
0: Fair enough. I've never thought that sanctions were a very good tool against an enemy power or force. I've just, my read of history is that they don't, they simply don't do what you want them to accomplish. They simply don't work. Well,
1: if they're used in conjunction with a real attainable goal, then they might just nudge the other side into a more compliant you know state of being or into a a better position where they won't be as threatening but when you just use sanctions for the sake of sanctions when they're not married to some strategic end goal then it doesn't go anywhere because then the other side just hardens itself and that's what's happening here
0: brandon there's been more talk in the last 48 hours joe biden may have put a kibosh on it, but there's been more talk in the 48 hours of Ukraine joining NATO. Uh, you you were on Twitter on this a little bit. What should we <laughs> think of that?
1: Um, if Ukraine, under its current condition, where it is in an active conflict, if Ukraine, uh, if Ukraine joins NATO, it will be a complete violation of the most basic elements of NATO's charter, in this case, Article 8, we all know about Article 5, which is the mutual defense clause, but Article 8 explicitly says NATO is disallowed from accepting any country into the alliance that is in an active conflict. Because obviously, if you accept a country that's in an active conflict with another nation or set of nations, if you accept them into yeah, the Yeah, you're about
0: to trigger Article 5 right you're <laughs> at the same Article time. 5. Yeah, right, right, right.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right. So, it's a terrible idea. It makes no sense, and what's more, I would argue NATO's increasing involvement with Ukraine has actually triggered in some ways the conflict with Russia that we were all trying to avoid. So it doesn't really make much sense to put Ukraine in NATO.
0: And it does look like, I I mean, the talking point it looks like was Ukraine's not ready to join NATO. I guess that can be read any number of different ways. By
1: definition, Article 8 says that that they're not ready. That would be one way,
0: yeah, right. I was thinking perhaps... They were, they were invoking Article 8, or perhaps they were talking about the other concerns we have about Ukraine, or perhaps just the geostrategy of it all, or the geopolitical strategy of it all.
1: Oh, these guys don't talk geostrategy, okay. or they're completely clueless.
0: Uh, they're completely clueless. Uh, 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 Brandon, you're funny. Uh, but, <laughs> but, well, funny because we either cry or laugh. But, but, but Brandon, <laughs> the, the notion that Russia was concerned that NATO was going to accept Ukraine before Russia went into Ukraine, that that could have been staved off better as well, right? That could have been, that. Uh, 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 use the word again, uh, a kibosh on that could have helped soothe some of Russian anxiety too, couldn't it have?
1: I'm so sorry, a kibosh on what? Uh, uh, just accepted. the notion
0: that Ukraine yeah. was going to join NATO seemed to Yeah, come, but yes. of
1: course, you know, every time the Biden administration in particular, but go back 20, 30 years, every time that there was an opportunity to de-escalate with Russia over this very, very sticky issue of Ukraine, um, the American side, the NATO side, more often than not, not chose to escalate. Because we told ourselves after the Soviet Union collapsed, Russia wasn't going to be with us anymore. And guess what? Russia's showing us they're over a 1000 year old country. They ain't going anywhere. And so we're now in a position where we are actually now in the worst position than we were five years ago.
0: To borrow from an old 1984 Ronald Reagan ad, there was a bear in the woods. He was just hibernating. Brandon, let me uh, take the quick commercial break and come back with you. I'd love to talk to you about China and the military when we do so. Sure. Thanks. I'm Seth Liebson. He is Brandon Weikert. Follow him on Twitter at we the Brandon. We, W-E, The Brandon. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest, senior editor at nineteen forty five dot com, one nine and then forty five spelled out dot com. You can follow him at We the Brandon, his uh, most recent book, "Biohacked: China's Race to Control Life." Let's talk a little bit about China, Brandon. You got a lot of attention for an interview I think you did with the Daily Caller, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Uh, mm-hmm. That this past May, uh, a couple, mo- I guess, a month or so, uh, yeah, a little over a month ago, uh, there was uh, eyebrow raising over uh, children, kindergarten children. Uh, being trained, really, effectively trained to uh, engage- to be part of the people liberation, People's Liberation Army, getting them to chant and weaponize the kind of way we used to, I don't know, look at the way they treat kindergartners in the West Bank, I suppose. Yeah. But um, say something about this, or whatever you'd like well, about you're a-
1: it. Yeah, well, you're absolutely correct when you bring up the the Palestinian issue, because when I saw those videos that the writer of the piece, Philip Lucheski, was sending me, um, when we were talking, he was talking to me about it. He said, I want you to watch these videos and give me your thoughts on it. Um, it, it reminded me, and I said this to him, he didn't use it in the interview, but I, did, I do remember saying this to him. I said, this reminds me of the Palestinians, okay, what they do to children there. Yeah. This is the same exact thing. And that's always very scary, not just because it's very sad to see children you know, lose their innocence right. in that way. But it's also, um, it's very scary, because clearly, in my opinion, my read on the situation and what I told Philip in The Daily Caller was that I think that China is truly getting ready to go to war with us, and it's an all-of-society kind of war. Mm-hmm. In May of 2019, breast in battle fatigues, President Xi Jinping took to the stage, and he announced, a, quote, people's war against the United States. Um, And that was May of 2019. And just a few months later, uh, COVID-19 was conveniently loosed from Wuhan Institute of Virology, which, of course, destabilized the United States and destroyed our economy um, and made us forever weak. Um, But my point is, is that I do believe this is indicative of a larger movement within China. It isn't just about trying to secure ideological purity for the next generation. That's certainly part of it. But I think this is really about, he is literally prepping for World War III. I think that China is going to lash out militarily against us and or our allies very, very soon. And I think that he is conditioning his entire population for the kind of of all-of-society war that he thinks he knows will be required to have a chance at defeating the United States.
0: And, of course, if it's a get them while they're young for, you know, a couple of years or even, you know, a generation, I mean, they, they, they count time a little bit differently than us, don't they? I mean, they're, they're very patient. Of course, you know, I don't want to make a direct comparison, I suppose, as a philosophy guy, I would say it's a case of insufficient options but there is something interesting about what they're doing to their kindergartners and what we're doing to ours. Leave the Palestinians out for a moment. Absolutely. You know, it's it's a Absolutely. very interesting thing. I, I don't want us to be doing what they're doing. On the other hand, um, it shows a far more seriousness than what we're doing.
1: Well, that's the key thing here. Uh, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of that HBO show, Succession, right. but there was a line that um, Brian Cox's character uh, says, when he, he's looking over at his children and he says, you know, Americans used to be a much more serious people That's than right. they are today. Right. And I think that what you're saying is correct. Yeah. I remember I was talking I was talking to the author of the piece, and, and we were kind of chatting about what other things this could represent. Is it just a, a possibility of, of war coming soon? And I did say to him, I said, you know, it, it also back in the day, and my grandfather's day certainly, and I think probably even my father's day, um, ROTC was not just on college campuses everywhere, but they were on high school yes, campuses. Correct. And kids routinely joined them, even correct. if they never intended on joining the military. Correct. It was just something you did. Right. There were shooting clubs. My grandfather was po- led the shooting club in South Bend, Indiana, in his high school, Clay High School, right. back in the day. Right. And so, like, you know, this is just, you know, it's a seriousness of culture that we have you know, lost over the last 50, 60 years at a time when China is embracing it, maybe too much now, going going in the wrong direction, you know, going militant with their kids. But they certainly are imbuing a sense of discipline and, um, uh, you know, respect for their elders, for the society that our children are purposely being deprived of.
0: Right. Deprived of at several levels. One, emasculating them. Uh, but yeah. then the second element, which might be far more insidious, is the kind of thing that uh, Jean-Francois Ravel wrote in uh, in um, How Democracies Disappear. That we are building a, civili- a civilization through our children that feels guilty for everything it is and does. There is no such yeah. self doubt in our enemies, uh, in our enemy, in our enemy cultures.
1: No, and I've told this to you before, and I'll say it again. There was a guy I went to college with who was from China. He was, uh, you know, from a pretty well-off, well-connected family, and he looked at me when we were talking. Uh, this was in the early 2010s, and we were talking about sort of some of these cultural things that were going on in America. And he started laughing. He goes, "He goes, man." He goes. He said, we already went through our cultural revolution in China, and it was awful, and we'll never do it again. He said, but it looks like you Americans are really trying to replicate what happened in China 50 years ago. And he's right. I've been talking a lot about this. this. Yeah,
0: keep going. Keep going, yeah.
1: Well, you know, we are visiting that kind of Marxist ideological indoctrination upon our children, the same kind that was visited upon the uh, Chinese in the 60s and 70s, and You know, the Chinese state almost collapsed from it. It was only because, really, Nixon took uh, Mao's pleas for opening up. He took them at face value and basically gave uh, Mao Zedong uh, his breath of life that he needed because China was on the brink of collapse uh, before the Americans uh, embraced uh, Mao Zedong. And so we could be setting ourselves up for a similar situation, only this time, there might not be another country out there willing to save us because we're hated.
0: The more one studies the Cultural Revolution in China in the through the lens of what America is going through today, the eerier it gets. The eerier it gets, whether it's whether it's the 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 iconic the taking down the iconoclasm of old customs and old culture, whether it's the um, vanishing it's disappearance of womanhood and right. femininity, it's uh, right. whether it's the uh, censorship, whether it's the rewriting of the history of the country. Right. It's extremely eerie. It leads me to the. Often point I don't uh, often quoted point that I use in talks I give that I don't think is too f- too far too far ahead of ourselves when I say we don't need to worry about a Chinese invasion we're already importing their ideology right
1: well and the upside will be though we'll get rid of childhood obesity.
0: I don't know if we will. Uh, yeah, oh well. Yeah. Oh yes. If if. Oh, I, I see. I see. I see. Do they not have obesity in China? Is it not a big problem? No, but over during that? the Cultural Revolution, there was food shortage. Okay, there. The I'm sl- the heat here, Brandon. The heat. Everything. The heat warps my my humor mind. But the humor quadrant of my joke. brain. No, it was a good joke. It's just you know we have the heat. My God, the heat. Let me take a break. We'll do some more domestic politics with Brandon Weicker when we come right back. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He's the author of several books, most recently Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. You can follow him on Twitter at We, W-E The Brandon. He is also a senior editor at 1945.com, where he puts out just a ton of content. Uh, it's hard, to, yeah, to keep up with you, Brandon. I have I have all these outlets to do so with, and then I get... My special hour with you every Monday, as does my audience. So thank you for that. There's a debate going. Oh well, of course. There's a debate going on about whether it's too early to make predictions about the Desantis campaign, and you've been following it. You've been talking and tweeting a little bit about it. I have to tell you, I understand the point well that no votes have been cast and all of that but there does come a point at which yeah. there's a general yuck ill feeling maybe that's saying yep. it too strongly there's a there's a the there's an encrustation if you will burning in the amber of that campaign that just looks like it can't do anything right and it can't get lift off You've been writing about certain elements of it. Maybe some of it is staffing. Maybe there are other things. What's your overview of everything I just kind of laid out?
1: Personnel is policy. I've been saying that about Trump for years, and this was my biggest complaint about him. But I'm I'm inherently a fair person, and I'm now going to have to say that's my biggest gripe with DeSantis. He no. hired this, this group of people— to run his campaign, who are obsessed with Twitter. Twitter's not real life. It's not real. There's nothing real there. I know we talked about this last week, but I am still mind-blown away by the fact that he hired a group of people who are over, at least one of them, over anti-Semites. You, that's like it's like you know the first rule of Fight Club. Yeah. If you don't talk about Fight Club, yeah. first rule of, of of campaigns in America is you don't hire anti Semites oh, to represent you
0: or any kind of bigot for sure. Yeah, right. That's right. Right.
1: But like so so personnel is policy here, and he's hired the absolute clownish people that he could find, and that's not an excuse. There's no excuse because he's got this huge campaign war chest. He could be getting the best and brightest, and instead he's getting these weirdos who want to talk about, you know, uh, Brad Pitt in these weird videos they're making for that are for like an audience of one. I do not know what they're doing, and he is losing because not only has he always had a problem with likability, which is fine—he's boring. You don't have to, you know, denounce that, but when you pair that with the fact that he won't go on with any hard interviews, whereas Trump's going on with every hostile interviewer he can find almost to the point that it's a problem, or, and, or you compare that to the fact, you add on the fact that DeSantis, uh, he, he uh, is not talking about this incredible record he has, Instead, he's fixating on these stupid Twitter things. The guy's going to lose. He's going to lose. And frankly, my theory is, whereas other candidates might use t- 2024 just as sort of a, an exercise in getting their name out there, the fact of the matter is, he has been given so much money right. from so many powerful groups right. that he could never run again if he if he botches this thing as badly as i I think, he I did. think
0: that analysis is correct and i have to tell you you know i um, i've been watching some of what's going on on twitter from his team and you're right it's oddly immature it's and it's oddly it's, it's oddly time consuming they spend a lot of time trying to lest i sound uh, too in the know about these things are too hip to these things they seem to spend a lot of time trying to own if you will one person or two people and right. by the way none of these people are going to be voting for anyone except no. the person they're already being paid for that's, being right. Paid by.
1: that's right and also this was a guy ron desantis he was a serious guy He's a serious leader. Yeah. He's an executive. Right, right. He has a good. He has a phenomenal record. He has a great backstory. He is, in my opinion, he's middle class to to you know now a top leader in the Republican Party, possibly a president in the waiting. He is the story of MAGA, and yet he is mired in the stupid, yeah. immature stuff. And and also, they're not talking about the things that she should be talking about and also then you add in his inherent unlikability problem, you now have a disaster in the making. And, you know, I was an early encourager of his, as you know, and I was at one time sort of giving inputs here and there to his campaign. They don't talk to me anymore because I said that Christina Peshaw (laughs) needs to be fired, and I stand by that. She needs to be fired now. They need to fire that whole social media team. Um, They need to bring in an adult to actually run. He has got such a great backstory. He's got such a great record. We're, we don't even talk about it anymore. Now all of that's negated by this stupid, anti-Semitic, and creepy, weird Internet stuff Yeah, it's creepy doing. and weird. That's a, good, that's, a,
0: that's a good phrase for it. And there's this other thing. i got to take a break. We can pick up on it on yeah. the other side. that I want to talk about Kamala Harris with you. But there's this other odd thing, too. When you say he's not talking about the things he's talking about, feel free to pick up on this when I come back. You know, one of the few with a fair amount of foreign policy experience, comparatively speaking... No one knows where he is on foreign policy. I'll let you respond to that when we come back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weichert is my guest, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, senior editor at 1945.com, author of several books. I was just doing in my head over the over the over the break as I spoke to you just before the break, Brandon, about the team of Republicans running for president. Ron DeSantis, I mean, it's he has or should maybe next to Nikki Haley the most kind of foreign policy of backgrounds or at least um, uh, experience and. You, have, you never hear him speak about it. You never have him, hear him speak on the topic. And this is at a time when the world really is in crisis and could use some foreign policy intelligence. I, that's my perception. Have I missed something here? I have not. He gave no. one, one interview that was a little bit odd in an answer to Sean Hannity back on Fox in yeah. the day. He got his fingers burnt over it because he tried to play it down the middle and he hasn't said a peep about it since. That's my, that's yeah. my perception.
1: Yeah, and that's another thing. He's he comes across as scared about everything. And uh, you know, the bottom line he is kinda He kind
0: of does on that. You're right. He yeah, kind
1: of does on everything. He, on okay, everything. Okay. Anytime he gets he gets burned, he retreats and goes back into the social media universe. Yeah. But when it comes to foreign policy, the thing about him is he he does have some clear foreign policy goals and ideas and strategies, but he's not a neoconservative. You right. mentioned Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is if she's given the presidency any at any time. Oh, I agree. I low, was just
0: saying as far as background. Yes. I know I know what yeah, you're saying, yeah, but, yeah. but
1: I'm like that because DeSantis is accused of being a neoconservative no, eye the no, Trump people, not. but he's no, not. No, he's he's not. not. He's a realist. Yeah. And so um, you know, he should talk more about that. The bottom line is though, it's just, it's a very straight up uh, very straight up campaign strategy he should have been employing. It's probably too late now. He's he's done for probably. Uh, but he should have been talking up his record. He should have been owning the fact that he's boring. That's okay. It works sometimes. He's the straight man compared to Trump's wild man. And people, I think, were tired of Trump's wild shtick. And if they were offered someone who seemed more competent and confident and different from Trump, people might have been open to it. That was but the now, calling
0: card, Trump, but with competence. But, and he has not right, shown but that. that's not what yeah, we got. Right, what we got right. was...
1: We got was a a clown. I mean, he's come across as an incompetent clown, and I still think it's early enough where he, if he, in the next few weeks, starts making real changes, he has to fire people. Though he's not doing it, and that's going to be his greatest downfall because he's relying on these, these frankly, these clowns to run his campaign, and it's going to destroy him. You can raise all the money in the world, Seth. Jeb Bush raised a cartoonish amount of money in 2016, and he was a flop. Okay, the same thing's going to happen to DeSantis, and this is not only going to ruin him for 2024. He will never be able to run for higher office again. Nobody will give him money ever again because of it.
0: All these people that thought could really do it, whether it's Jeb Bush... Or Scott Walker, or I don't know. Think of some others. They don't Chris Christie, Chris Christie, Giuliani, uh, Mike Huckabee. They never get a second. I mean, it never works. I mean, people. That's it. Yeah, it was a bad. It was even Sarah was, Palin. Even Sarah. Sarah Palin. Even Sarah, Sarah, Yeah, it's a sunk cost, and we're done. All right. right so my I, my former producer, who still works with us, Bill. You knew Bill. Um, yeah. He just got a promotion, so he's not my current producer. But he used to play this game with me. We used to have someone who worked for us in and out, who wrote these area abstractions. And he would write them down, and then he would write down something from Michelle Obama's book, uh, and then he would write down something, Kamala, the book being The Light We Carry, and then he would write down something from Kamala Harris, and he would make me guess who said what. And, like, for example, from Michelle Obama's book, we'd get, um, in the light we carry, to mix our differences with togetherness, we knit when you create the first stitch of a new project you cast on. That that would be Michelle Obama. Now, Kamala Harris was asked a question about culture last week, <laughs> and you get the same airy abstraction that is essentially <laughs> meaningless.
1: Except Michelle Obama was much better about it than uh, Well, she
0: made more Kamala. money at it, I'll put it that
1: way. Yeah. Yeah, her yeah her response uh, to that question about culture was, as I talked about in my recent article, nineteen forty five, was not only. It reminded me of that scene from Billy Madison when yeah. Billy Madison, right. Adam Sandler's character, gives this right. answer to the Industrial Revolution, and the principal looks at him and he goes, "That was that was the, the stupidest answer I've ever heard." At no point we were all made dumber. You know, they had this yeah. whole thing, this right. whole skin we're about dumber that dumber because of it, and that's yeah. what I felt like. I yeah. felt like I was the principal in Billy Madison listening to this uh, just idiot, you know, prattle on an answer that was totally nonsensical, and. The problem is, unlike Billy Madison, which is a comedy from the 90s, this is real life. Yeah. And this woman, Kamala Harris, is the probable, if Biden were to win re-election, she would probably take over as president at some point. And she can't even answer a simple question as that went Something like, what is your definition of culture? It is a culture?
0: reflection of our moment in time, right? And present culture is the way we express right. how we're feeling about the moment. We should always find times to express how we feel about the moment, which comes in yes. the morning.
1: So not only was that the weirdest, you know, verbal diarrhea answer, but it's also the wrong definition right. of culture. Right. There right. is a definition <laughs> of right. culture. <laughs> right, And it's like, this individual, Kamala Harris, we are told, is super smart. She went to Howard, which is like the equivalent of of Harvard, and she's supposed to be this tough-as-nails lawyer, Attorney General of California. The future of of women in
0: America and young girls. And like, she
1: doesn't even, not only does she, you know, spooch the delivery, of uh, the, the answer. She doesn't even get the
0: definition right. No, that's right. That's scary. It, it's interesting. You went to Billy Madison. I used um, a slightly older movie, Blazing Saddles, Gabby Johnson speaking prairie gibberish. <laughs> but um, but right, Brandon. There the was effect an, is the same. It's effectively the same. But there was another assault there that most of the media missed. In fact, I don't know if any of the media picked up, but it was at I this Essence didn't. conference in New Orleans where the day she went... A uh, a a pop star wrote a new national anthem condemning America, and that's where she did this at. And I would love, I would love for someone to ask her not to take another swing at culture, but does she agree with the national anthem that was written for the conference she spoke at? I would but, just, but, you but know, I. The they're connected yes.
1: because her answer. Uh, her answer was not only ridiculous, but it also was a direct opposite of what culture is. Exactly. Culture is not what we feel right. in the current moment. <laughs> right. Culture right. is it, it's timeless. Right. Culture is what we pass down right. for generations to make sure that we don't lose who we are. It's why the Native Americans do their oral history, right. even today after genocide. It's why Jews practice Yom Kippur. Right. It's why, you're, you 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 listen, it's why in Haiti... They practice voodoo, which is actually a derivation of uh, religion found in Africa, where many of the Haitians were from. And they kept that tradition alive, even as they were made slaves. The fact of the matter is, uh, she believes, clearly, culture is not only ephemeral, which it is not, but she also, by being at this conference with this new national anthem that is inherently anti-American, and it's the opposite of a national anthem. Right. Right. that is at war fundamentally with America culture, with our essence. And if we let this woman become president, she's going to ruin the country.
0: Well, I want to pick up on your column about America next time we visit because you had one and sure. we didn't get to it. But it's a nice tee up for it. Brandon Weikert, bless you. Thank you for being with us, sir. Thank you, sir. You bet, Brandon Weikert. He is the author of several books, all of them accessible at Amazon. All accessible via his uh, Twitter feed. We the Brandon. Biohacked China's race to control life, the most recent. He and I, well, he and I will visit again next week. I'll be right back. Well, welcome back, and thank you for spending some of your Monday with us, folks. You think about the economy, you think about stock market volatility, you think about the talk of recession. You think about the inflation we're all going through. You think about the bank failures, and you ask, where do you go to invest? Why refi has a great answer. Invest with them. They have a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. A portfolio where you'll know... What each monthly statement will look like. You can turn your monthly income on or off, no surprises. Compound your interest, whatever you choose, and there is no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from YRefi, and they are headquartered here locally. I and they encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I have. I can tell you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you can too. y Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at com. That's invest, the letter Y, then com, or give them a call at 888-Y-Refi-34. Um, I was just thinking about uh, that word, culture, Brandon, was talking about, the ideals and mores of a civilization, and how very easily it would have been for Kamala Harris or anyone to really give a good answer on it. The conservative answer about the state of our culture would be very different from the left-wing, liberal, or Democratic Party answer, and I get that, but it's a layup, and if – especially given the kinds of things, if she listens to her boss, the president, that he talks about all the time. It's interesting that they ran on, um, the Democrats did, on on restoring our culture, on restoring a culture of uh, respect for one another, respect for norms, uh, bipartisanship, uh, soothing our nation's divisions, you know that's that's a way about talking at least about the political culture and and it would have been very easy for her to do. She's she's not up to the job, however, any more than her bosses. I hope when Republicans get asked about culture, they talk about our state of de-civilization. I think that's the way I would call it, de-civilization. That is a civilization that is getting. More, that is that is growing rotten and getting more and more rotten, particularly starting as it does with our children. We live in a time, which we might say we live in a culture, that is dedicated to the corruption, if not to the destruction of the young, at one point making them old before their time, at others destroying their innocence before their time, coming at them from every angle. And that's the culture that needs to be restored. That's the culture of life, the culture of our future. It's the culture of our country. It's the culture of our children. Okay, folks, uh, bless you again for spending some of your day with us. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson, and class is dismissed.